This episode of Actors with Issues is brought to you by Audible. For a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook, visit audibletrial.com actors. Welcome back to Actors with Issues. I am your host, Juan Ayala. Today's guest is actor, writer, director, and acting coach, Johnny Wu, who has worked on shows like NBC's Manifest, New Amsterdam, and HBO's High Maintenance. Johnny chats with us about his very specific approach to auditioning, how he almost joined the Air Force after his first major career blow, and his role in Hold Fast, Good Luck, a romantic feature film that is available on demand and DVD on August 25th. Now, guys, because Johnny is an acting coach and a teacher, he has so many great little nuggets of information on audition technique and how to approach this uh, crazy, crazy business that we're a part of in such a smart and calculated way. Um, I'm really excited for this episode. And if you are interested in getting any type of coaching from Johnny, you can visit his website at johnnywoo.tv. Now, please enjoy this conversation with Johnny Wu. So you are pretty much a lifelong New Yorker, correct? Correct. I, uh, I actually spent my first eight years in Shanghai okay. and, and uh, moved to Queens when I was uh, just a few days shy of eight and uh, had to learn English. Uh, but uh, yeah, and then it's been uh, growing up in New York uh, since then. Thankfully, as kids, our brains are like sponges and we can learn a dozen languages rather quickly. I, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, any, any later than eight, it would have been harder yeah. to arrive at, uh, you know, where I wanted to get to with this language. Yeah, it's not an easy language for sure. Um, you know, I was born and raised in the States as well, but um, because my parents both emigrated from uh, El Salvador, they didn't know much English to teach us, but uh-huh. thankfully... Once we got to school around five years old, we were able to pick up English very quickly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. ultimately, it is an easier language than Mandarin by a lot. So <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have that tough of a time. So um, I was just telling someone in an earlier interview that uh, actors usually fall in like sort of one of three categories. They uh-huh. either fell in love with performing very early on and did it um, like it was second nature to them and they just decided they knew they wanted to be an actor. Right. Other folks sort of go for more traditional uh, college experience, whether it's from family pressure or just sort of, you know, your, your mind sort of working against you. So they um, go to college for and, and get a degree in, in another field and then become an actor. Or some people just sort of make that hard switch and are like, you know what, I'm going to pursue that lifelong dream I've always had. Of, of being an actor. So where do you sort of fall between um, all of that? When did you sort of first yeah, get start for acting think, and make that decision you wanted to start? I think I fall uh, in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. In that I, growing up, I was very much on a purely sort of rigid academic track, um, much like uh, many, uh, you know, uh, immigrants really. Uh, Education is so highly valued by our parents' generation. Um, So I apply to colleges all under business programs because Mm -hmm. I was thinking that I was headed uh, for a path in, you know, finance. Um, And so I had decided to uh, attend where I went to undergrad, Binghamton University, uh, SUNY Binghamton, uh, 
under their school of management, which is actually a very selective undergrad business program. Mm. So I was all slated to start that. And then senior year of high school, I took a quote unquote acting class. Mm. Uh, and after that class, I uh, decided that I, I wrote Binghamton a very formal business letter telling them to take me out of the school of management and I was just going to be a theater major. So that's, that's how I got my start. And what sort of influenced that decision to, to make that switch? Was it? Um... Oh, yeah. So actually uh, in this acting class, I guess I was operating on sheer instinct alone because we weren't really taught that much in terms of the craft itself. And so at the end of the semester, when I did the scene as I was doing it, you know, it really just felt, um, it felt like an activity that I, I was doing for myself for the first time, you know, everything else felt like I was doing it because I was going to be decent at it or because somebody else has, had told me that that's a, a smart thing to do to spend your energy on. But for me, as I was doing the scene, it just felt like an activity, this activity of, I guess, you know, believing in imaginary circumstances. I just, I just enjoyed it so much. And then when I got off stage, this teacher that really didn't teach us anything at all, she looked at me and she, she goes, you know, you kind of have a thing. That's exactly what she said. She says, you know, you kind of have a thing. And my 17-year-old self was like, word? I have a thing? Oh, my goodness. I, have to, I must do something about this. You know? so that's, how, that's how it all started. It, 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 it started because, yeah, I just stumbled into something that felt more truthful to me than anything that I've done for myself up until that point. It's so funny how it starts that way, how... Um... I, I, I don't imagine that too many people, because, you know, kids are often forced into sports or learning an instrument, not necessarily something they always enjoy. I mean, I certainly didn't enjoy doing sports as a kid. Sure. You know, like any other Hispanic family, they put me into soccer. Sure. Um, and, uh, you know, it ended up being something that I didn't really enjoy. It felt like a chore. But uh-huh. once I got involved in, in music and singing and, and uh-huh. you know, that eventually led me to musical theater, it was like, oh, I want to do this. I enjoy this. Yes. So, and then, you know, when an adult says something encouraging, um, you know, to keep going, yes. to, to yeah. really Basically, sort of, when, yeah. When somebody in your, in your sort of growth path, once you latch onto an activity that uh, is, um, you know, something that, is truly a thing of passion, Mm -hmm. um, then, you know, what a lucky position to be in because now when, when people that you respect in that craft, um, gives you any, any sort of encouragement that has a lot of weight, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, it's the best feeling in the world to discover what really drives you and then <clears throat> the best feeling in the world when the world tells you that, hey, you know what? You have uh, something to offer in this field, so keep at it. Yeah. So, you know, those are, those are necessary elements, I think, for artists and performers to uh, stay the course. Yeah, that's sort of um, – because we, we face so much rejection 
um, on a rather constant basis. If you're lucky to get lots of auditions, you're, you know, there's one role and thousands of people being submitted for it and, and dozens getting the audition. So to hear something encouraging as a little reminder, a hint of reassurance really goes a long way. I think more than, than people may uh, expect it to. And admit that's why someone may give them some encouraging words and it hits them like a brick. They're like, Whoa, like, yes. And it, yes. It's emotional. And you, and you know, I, it, yeah. I, I teach, I've been teaching, you know, mm-hmm. since, uh, since college, I was always a TA. And then in grad school, it was built into my uh, graduate acting program. So I really loved uh, learning about, you know, the craft of teaching acting. Uh, and especially being an actor these days, when I interact with my students that are just starting out, you know, I, I very much operate from a place of knowing how valuable it is to be told that this thing that you just were so courageous and brave in, in trying is working, you know, like, so, so, so I, you know, I don't coddle my students. I, I'm very like, sort of like efficiency driven, but I also make sure to give uh, my students the encouragement, the specific bolstering, uh, that they need, uh, you know, as the moments come up. Yeah. It's something that, um, you know, young actors, young people in general, but young actors specifically can, are very impressionable. So, um, it, it breaks my heart a little bit to hear sometimes that kids say like that their teachers like broke them down or, or, you know, were a bit more discouraging than, than, than anything yeah, else. Yeah, I mean, you basically have to, uh, that's a tricky line, right? Like where, yeah. you know, there's so many elements to consider because yeah, the path is very much a gamble, right? And mm-hmm. like, I've played, I've played poker professionally for many years. So like, mm-hmm. I'm very well versed with the concept of gambling. Uh, but like every time that I've played cards, I'm just like the most that I can lose, like, money right but like i'm gambling like when i'm in this career it's literally i'm gambling with years and decades of my life you know uh and that's you gotta you you need some help you know to overcome consistent rejection and this sort of like non-linear um way of understanding growth you know, there's yeah. no way for us to like actually be like, oh, okay, this happened. So that means this should happen next. Like we can't do that in our industry, you know, in the corporate world, it basically is like, if you put forth this amount of effort coupled with your ability set, you basically know what you're going to get back over a long stretch of time. You know, um, in this field, it's, you know, it's, uh, in order to keep that hustle up, you do need, you can't go too long without being encouraged. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's, um, you know, this uh, business and the sort of hustle mindset and um, it can be, it can, it can takes toll on, on people yeah. um, very intensely. So to, um, to not have any sense of sort of encouragement or possibility can, um, can be rather detrimental for a lot of people. I know quite a bit of people who have, um, 
you know, decided to to just up and leave the business because things yeah, weren't because going their way and there wasn't reassurance coming their way either. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This is an extra hard time, right? Because yeah. every everything's dead. But it's also been helpful to think of it like, you know what, the playing field is as level as it's going to be. So no, no sense in like putting extra pressure on yourself in terms of feeling bad for not, you know, booking work or, or whatever. Uh, it's a, it's been a good chapter to like, you know, um, sort of go back to working on your craft. I've, I've, I've discovered that this COVID chapter has been really good for letting go of like how, um, uh, letting go the sort of focus on shit that doesn't matter. We spend so much uh, of our sort of like mental uh, availability um, considering things that we have no control over. And yeah. then, and then those thoughts make us feel bad. And that's, that's detrimental to ourselves. That's like shooting ourselves in the foot, you know? Um, um, because uh, yeah, we got to, we, we, we got to be able to find ways forward. And for me, <clears throat> going back to learning specific things about like, okay, what is the difference between auditioning for TV and auditioning for a theater? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, what if you come from the MT world, it's like, well, what are your habits that work well for that world? But what are your habits that don't work well for the TV world or for the film world. Um, so let's get specific about understanding, hey, what are the jobs that you're trying to get? And let's actually know what those jobs are and let's train ourselves from that starting point. You know, and that's been a big focus of mine over these few months of just getting, just like getting better specifically at booking a multicam, at specifically at booking a procedural, uh, specifically at booking an indie film. Like, how can we work? How can we work? You know, in, as efficiently as as we can towards a specific goal. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, it's um this this industry. There is no sort of one size fits all to uh, approach or at least not one that works um, in in this industry, especially when going from sort of from medium to medium, from theater to TV to film, like uh, the audition to commercials, you know, all of those things don't necessarily coincide as much as some, some younger actors may think. Um, And yeah. So what is something that you like to instill in your students? Cause you you mentioned before that you're um, an acting coach and have sort of been doing that for a while. I focus on, camera auditions Mm -hmm. and i also have a focus on mfa auditions right so if you're if you're auditioning for grad school with your four monologues then i work with you on those if you have if you want if you're already out in the workforce and you're auditioning for tv and film uh then i work with you on camera specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, there are definitely differences in, in the approaches, but there are certainly more that overlap than are different. 
between the approaches uh, of auditioning for uh, uh, theater and auditioning for camera stuff. And then within the camera realm, um, auditioning for like in terms of rigidity, okay, mm -hmm. going from just procedural television, like a NCIS, for instance, is a Law and Order SVU, for instance. Those types of shows are very much on one end of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, so what you would do, the requirements of your performance is simply different if you're auditioning for a procedural than, even, than auditioning for a film. I would put film and procedural on opposite ends of the camera spectrum. Yeah. Okay. Moving from, from procedural uh, towards film, it goes like procedural, single cam, uh, multi, oh no, it goes procedural, multi cam, single cam, and then long form in terms of how much uh, freedom there is to mm -hmm. express nuance. And then film is all the way at the end. So, so, so why does a show on HBO feel more cinematic? Because of the formula of long form or serialized television, mm -hmm. it allows that amount of room uh, to be taken advantage of in terms of expressing subtext. Uh, in a procedural, there is absolutely no time or room for subtext or nuance. And so it's a much more like, pace-driven uh, performance and you've got to get really specific about, you know, choosing the biggest pivot moment in that scene. And outside of that moment, don't waste any time at all um, so that you can buy all that time to make a very clear shift in the moment that you've decided. In film, there's just m many more ways for something to be truthful. So um, there can be more time spent on more moments in film than in procedural television. I don't know if I answered any question. That was just me talking no, you... about something that I care about when I teach, um, really making that distinction, working from that distinction, you know, so that we don't work um, inefficiently with the limited number of hours we have to prep an audition. No, absolutely. That was fascinating. That really was um, just hearing your hearing the differences between each of the because, you know, like you said, it's not like with film and television. It's not just comedy versus drama. It's like right. there's a tone and there's a style when shows have been running for a long time. They don't change style or tone like Law and Order has been exactly the same since day one. It has not changed in right. their cinematography and their and the so the yeah. more exactly the more you understand that particular formula, the more you're going to be able to do that particular job. See, a lot of the times we come into the, the game and we're like, oh, we know how to act. That's fine. But your perception of what is truthful to you has, is only limited to the amount of times that you've made those moments truthful in the medium in which you're performing. So if the same scene, you had a moment, that basically same moment, and you had it on stage, and you try to
do it exactly the same, but feel that amount of truth. If it were being shot for TV, it's not going to feel that truthful to you. And so when I teach and when I coach students and come up against that particular problem, I put all the focus into readjusting how we can feel truthful in a new medium. Absolutely love that, man. Seriously, that's super insightful and something that I don't think that many people take into consideration when, when sort of, I mean, even in workshops, because right now a lot of casting directors have been offering workshop opportunities because they're not casting anything. So they now have yeah. the time yeah. to do all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I've sat in, in the same, um, in multiple workshops for this at the same sort of school. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, they're over zoom, but you know, um, and seeing people do the same scenes because mm-hmm. it's a, you get to choose whatever scene you want and right. they're choosing the same scene for every single casting director. But it's like, okay, this one works for the blacklist. This one does films for Sony. This mm-hmm. one does shows like NCIS. This one does sitcoms out of LA. Right. But the same scene, there's like some people are choosing the same scene. Cause it's just like, Oh, this is like my best one. But it's like, but you have to think of where, what it's into the world of the shows they cast. If you're doing a scene from a gritty drama, like Mindhunter for a casting director who does sitcoms, you're not. No, because they they don't have, they, you're not, you're not taking advantage of the opportunity to show them why you have value to them. Right. That's, that's, that's the only reason we are ever in front of casting directors or our work is in front of casting directors is because we should know what the job is. Hmm. We should know what their job is. If their job is to cast for sitcoms and I show them that I can do really well with a drama, I have no value to them. That's a very smart way to ultimately think about the game, right? Like don't lump the whole game into one skill set because there are overlaps in the skill set. The acting fundamentals, uh, for sure, uh, go across the board. But, you know, on top of that, you need to learn specific skills for specific jobs. So let's learn what the jobs are first. Then we can learn how to tweak our existing talent and skills towards this new job. If you're like me and you listen to a lot of podcasts, you'd probably love listening to audiobooks. And the best place for that is Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Titles range from popular literature, fiction and biographies to health, wellness, and everything in between. For a free 30-day trial, visit audibletrial.com actors for a free audiobook. Once you become a member, you get one credit for an audiobook each month, as well as two free exclusive Audible originals. I highly recommend that all of my actors and artists listening check out the audiobook for The Actor's Life, A Survival Guide, written and narrated by Jenna Fisher, best known for playing Pam on The Office. Jenna gives an in-depth look on her career, from fresh-faced Hollywood newcomer to struggling actor to the star of a hit network television show. She also has a ton of survival advice and guidance for actors tackling this crazy industry. You can check out Jenna's book and tons more by signing up for a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash actors. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, you know, there's already so much sort of guesswork with uh, this industry that when we have when we're sort of looking to market ourselves, whether it's the the tone or the world that your headshot gives off, um, you're showing yes. your type or, or like I said, picking scenes for a workshop or, or for something like that. You want to take out as much guesswork as possible to make the casting director's job as easy as possible. You want them to take one look at your headshot and be like, they look great. Let's watch their reel. Mm-hmm. If your reel has the clips that reflect the same type that fits their show and the vibe and the tone of their show, great. Let's get them on audition. Because, yes. you know, they've got to look through these thousands of people getting submitted for one role. Yes. And, um, you know, if you're making it complicated for them, it's like, all right, on to the next. We've got thousands exactly. to get through. Exactly. And in, in that vein, too, it's like if I had to give advice, just like one piece of advice to like actors that are starting out. So it's very cliche for us to say acting is reacting, right? Like we've all heard that a lot. And we know that that's what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But how do we actually make sense of that? Okay, so acting is reacting in that if you don't know what you're responding to with the next thing that you do, whether it's a physical action or a line, the next line that you have, if you don't know to what you're responding to with that line, then you're not going to be able to sell us any amount of truth. Okay. So I want to get very clear about what I'm responding to. So what I'm responding to, I will call inputs. Okay. And I'm going to say that there are only three types of inputs for me to respond to the easiest of which number one is if I am responding to a line that was just said to me, that's the easiest way, right? So if your line was, what did you have for breakfast? And my next line is, oh, I had an egg sandwich. The input that I'm responding to, to motivate my next line is exactly the line that you just said to me. Very easy. Uh, The second way is if what you just said to me has nothing to do with my next line. So if you ask the same question, you go, hey, what'd you have for breakfast? And my next line is like, oh my God, Jack. When did you get home, right? That I'm probably responding to Jack walking into the room. So if I don't see Jack, then how can I respond uh, truthfully, right? So that has to be an input that if I don't have, if I'm in a self-tape situation and I only have the one reader, now you're going to have to sell me that eyeline with Jack entering the room and you really have to see Jack to respond to him truthfully. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so that type of input is reliant on our ability, our mind's eye to see whatever we need to see. Okay. So it's basically, you want to get that to a point where it's the same, you have the same truthful response as if the actor playing Jack walks into the room and as if 
that never happens and it's just the same blank spot on the wall. You have to be able to respond to that input uh, truthfully. But to do that, you have to know that that is the input that you're responding to. And if it's not there, you have to build it. Okay. So that's number two. And then the third one is the most interesting is like, if uh, I'm not responding to the previous line and there's nothing new visually for me to see, then uh, if your previous line is, um, hey, what did you have for breakfast? And then my next line is, I really wish you didn't take her away. (laughs) Okay. I'm just making this up. But like, if that was the script, your line was, Hey, what did you have for breakfast? And the very next line, which is my line that says, I wish you didn't take her away. Well, let's see. Did that line come from the previous line? No. Is there something that entered the scene that I can see? No. So this third type of input has to be, you craft the perfect thought for yourself exactly when you need that perfect thought. Okay. So, so you ask me, what did you have for breakfast? I'm going to link that to a memory of having breakfast with this girl that I'm, I have to talk about now. Uh, and, and so now I'm, I'm building a bridge to this next thought of what the thought that I actually need to say my next line. So those are the three ways to receive inputs. Basically, everything that you do whenever you're acting, you better be responding to one of those three types of inputs. And if you don't, you're going to be lying. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's what I would like to offer uh, to uh, any uh, listeners out there that are starting out and really trying to just like get a handle on this whole like approach, like this whole acting game, this whole auditioning game. Um, Why is acting much easier than auditioning? Because when you're acting in production or in class, you have an actor, you have actors acting with you. So you don't have to, you don't have to find your own inputs. Right. You're always responding to actual inputs, right? But when you're auditioning, how do we sell that blank spot on the wall to be the best actor in the world? Right. Well, yeah, yeah, that's entirely dependent on your imagination. You know, it's funny. You One tends to have to act a hundred times more in the audition or in the self-tape uh, compared to being on set. Because like you said, you have to all of these, you know, you're not on a set or, uh, or in costume. Yeah. Or, there's no help. Or, yeah. There's no help. Literally. Like, yeah. And, that's such a great way of looking at it. Wow. We can't even, we can't even cut away from you. So the, 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 the difference between what is needed performance wise between production and, uh, audition is so vast because in production you have so many layers of help. You have, yeah, you have a production design, you have costume design, you have sound, you have, yeah. And then on top of the first and foremost, you have actors that are actually speaking to you. And when they speak, guess what? We can cut to them and watch them speak. But none of those things can we do in an audition. So you have to sell us all of the elements of that world without any of the help. So that means you have to do all this work um, before the camera is on so that when the camera's on, 
you're not searching for ways to find things to be truthful. It's too late by that point, right? You got to do all yeah. this. Stuff. You got to, you got to get very specific about what you're responding to every single moment in the whole scene before, before uh, pictures up, because by that point, you know, the producers are only trying to hire somebody, especially if we're talking about television, that shit is shooting next week. You know what right. I'm saying? So, so like they're not in the business of like assessing how much potential you have yeah, as yeah. an actor. They need to see if you are camera ready today, because if you're not camera ready today and so much goes into being camera ready, right? Like your lines, probably not camera ready. If you search for lines at all in your scene, you're not camera ready uh, because that's not a take that we can use if we were on set. So if you're not camera ready today, we're going to find some, someone who is, and that person is going to get the job, you know? Yeah. Because there, there can be such quick turnarounds with, um, with. Yeah. We don't uh, have time to wonder. We don't have time to be like, Ooh, maybe you're just having an off day, but yeah. if, if we need I, someone who has a, who has an on day right now. <laughs> yeah. We just need to see the on day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like you could be in the audition room on Monday, call back on Wednesday, you're on set on Friday. Like it's, you know, there, there's no time to do all of this prep. You need to have like this technique down pat, ready to go. And with self tapes, you usually don't get more than 48 hours. You're lucky to get that. Much. Sometimes it's, it's, you it's, wake up to an email and it says, this is due at 2 PM today. You're like, Oh God. Okay. Well, let's go. <laughs> and, and, yeah, like literally if you only have four hours, if you misspend one of those hours, you're totally fucked, yeah. you know? Because think about it. If, if, if you only have four hours and you don't really know what the job is exactly, you're going to misspend that amount of time and you're not going to be camera ready. Right. Right? Um, what else? <laughs> Uh, so I actually want to talk about your, uh, your next upcoming project. It's actually going to be up in, um, at the very start of September. Yes. Um, it's a feature film. A, uh, uh, is it a rom-com or would you say it's oh, a comedy? Oh, so, so, so there are two things. So the feature that, w- which was my first number one on a film. Really? Uh, that's awesome. Congrats, I, man. Thank you. That was shot, uh, a little while back in California that was shot. We shot three weeks in LA and one week up in San Francisco. Okay. Uh, that film is called hold fast. Good luck. It is a romance. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, my co-star Olivia, she is also doing, uh, really well. So it's, uh, it's going to be really exciting to have this out there. It's going to be on, all the video on demand platforms, iTunes, Amazon prime, all of it, um, Vimeo, whatever. Um, so yeah, check us out. It's called hold fast. Good luck. It's shot by, uh, Denny Wong in California. And our cinematographer was Megan Stacy, who was just a brilliant, brilliant, uh, DP. And she made this film look just, uh, amazing. So uh, look out for that. That's going to that's gonna come out in five days on the 25th. Okay. Um, and then um, 
first week of September, I am in production for my first uh, project where I am the writer, lead, and director. So mm-hmm. I'm really going for it. <laughs> <laughs> wearing all the hats. <laughs> I, I'm wearing all the hats and it's, uh, it's obviously freaking me out. Um, but I have a really good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put together a really good team that I have so much faith in. So they're going to help me out a lot um, on this short. It's just an eight-page short about mm-hmm. how um, an actor uh, deals with COVID New York and, you know, in a way where we get to meet this halal cart guy and this homeless man mm-hmm. and basically at the end of the film uh, you know, the lead guy expands his world beyond himself. And there's this realization, um, that, you know, New Yorkers do always come together in tough times and, you know, um, lift each other up. So it's a very, it's a very, it's a short little positive, um, stroll through, the heart. <laughs> gotcha. That's awesome, man. You know, it's um, uh, f- several of the folks that I've had on the podcast are very big on content creation. Um, yeah. It's not just to, not just to, you know, to sort of book yourself when others aren't booking you. Cause a lot of times when yes. someone writes and directs a short, it's for that reason, they just want to work, but also to, to tell a story. And I mean, we're yes. storytellers at heart and, and, you know, um, I like that that's sort of the center of your, um, or like what is at the center of, of your short of, um, you know, this, uh, something very current and, um, and topical and something we're all going through as, you know, the, yeah. And it's, I think, I think I'm just trying to explore how like it's rather easy for people in these chapters to turn inward and get rather, you know, cynical and dark, you know, and and pessimistic at large. Uh, And I just wanted to write a a story of, of hope and how much um, actual, how much compassion actually exists in all of us inherently, you know, it just gets covered by, by bullshit here and there. Um, So this is, I think a film about letting some of the bullshit go and realizing, you know, uh, a happier truth. Um, so you, um, you know, mentioned when, when we were communicating before the show um, that there were times in your career where the next step felt um, a bit elusive. And, mm-hmm. you know, with what like I was saying before, with so much guesswork in this industry and there not being a clear ladder for, for one to climb, um, how did you sort of get over those like little slumps um, in, in your career, was it something that maybe someone said to you or, um, sort of like yeah. a, a personal epiphany or a change in mindset, you know, it could be any number of things, but, um, yeah. What do you have to, to say about that? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I've been out of school and in the workforce for now 11 years. Mm-hmm. And I think in those 11 years, I, I had like two definitive moments where I was really close to leaving. Um, uh, I guess I'll just talk about the most recent one, which was about four years ago. I happened to 
uh, I was doing a show. I was doing a play at Theater Row on 42nd. Uh, it happened to be right in the middle of pilot season. And after I closed that play, um, both my manager and my uh, agents um, dropped me uh, in the same week <clears throat> because they said, uh, you've just not done enough TV in the last 18 months and we're going to let you go. And so that was really tough because, I mean, it's tough enough uh, in the game when, when there are people believing in you and working for you. Uh, but when, 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 when your team goes away and says that they don't believe in you, I was just like, well, uh, what, what am I doing here? You know? Um, so I was, I was, uh, really close to thinking about, because I, I, you know, I grew up on a lot of structure and I was feeling really, I was feeling the lack of structure, but also I was feeling extremely purposeless at that time. So I really thought about walking into one of the, um, uh, recruiting centers on 42nd for the air force mm -hmm. and going to officer candidate school for six weeks and coming out a lieutenant in the air force. Uh, and I got really deep in that thinking and it was a really dark time for me mm. because I would have like, I'm so, I'm so happy. I didn't join the air force. My ass would have been fucking court martialed in like a week and a half. <laughs> Best believe because I'd have been I'd have been a thirty year old lieutenant taking shit from like twenty four year old captains and yeah. it would have been bad very quickly. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of glad that I'm not like serving time for high treason right now. Okay. Um, but uh, but, um, but yeah, no. What actually got me through that particular time was. Um, two very close friends of mine during that chapter when I was really down and out, you know, they were, they said to me specifically, like my best friend, he said to me, he was like, you know, you take a thousand, uh, you take a thousand actors, you put them, you put them in a field together and not one of them can actually do what you can do. And I was just like, I was so, I, I was, I was so moved by that, you know? Um, and, uh, I just, I just needed something because yeah, like with my mom, for instance, she was never somebody that could give me encouragement. She always came from the worry about everything place, you know, and I, yeah. she can't help it. And I can't blame her, even though I, have blamed her for many years. I no longer blaming her. Um, but you know, I wasn't getting that sort of verbal, uh, encouragement that I needed, which I had a lot of during school, right? Like school was fantastic. Very easy for somebody like me to thrive in because I was constantly validated by my peers, by my faculty, and I was constantly working on things. Uh, then when I, you know, out in the world, you're not working. And then like, nobody's telling you that you should stay in the game that became a really tough time to stay in the game. And so, 
uh, it was really, I just credit my, my close friends for believing me in that era and telling me things that um, I really needed to hear and I stayed. And, uh, you know, past that point, once I stayed, I was able to get new representation and start rebuilding. And, um, you know, uh, ever since then, I have not doubted that this is the path for me. And now, now I'm too damn old to be going anywhere. So now I'm just- <laughs> <laughs> not true at all. Come on. Uh, it's interesting to hear that because so many people, um, you know, I've had friends who whose reps have dropped them and they're just devastated. They're like, I thought we were a great fit. I thought we were doing well. I never thought that they would drop me. Um, you know, even when they do book, like you said, sometimes the reps are like, well, you haven't, you've booked. Yeah, but you haven't booked enough or, right. you know, X, Y, and Z. And it's just, it, it's a business. We have to sort of remember that. And, you know, we, we may realize that in hindsight, but yes. not at the moment. At the moment, we're like, oh, great. And like, what am I going to do now? Back to self-submitting on Actors Access every day and exactly. backstage and all of this. And um, it's a tough grind, you know, yeah. when you don't have somebody believing you, it's a tough grind. Yeah. And if anyone that's a rep or something like that stops believing in you, you have to sort of do you some know. self-evaluation. And yeah, you have to assess like, hey, yeah. like, has everybody been blowing smoke up my ass for like 15 years, <laughs> you know? And ultimately, you know, what my friends did for me was allow me to answer that question for sure in the negative, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like I always, I know that I offer what I offer um, with real value. It's just, uh, there are just things that I fit into. And then there are things that I don't fit into, you know, but if you're, yeah, if your tank is on empty in terms of just believing in yourself, like when you book something that isn't, when you don't book something that isn't even right for you, Hmm. you can get really affected by that negatively, you know? And so it's, it's a balancing act of like, you know, uh, I guess it's sort of like a tightrope walk between, uh, hubris and humility. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, the strange line that we have to, um, tell for, for quite a while. Um, and you know, even you could be repped by a great office, um, and your materials could be great. You could have credits under your belt. And, but you know, there's, there's just not built in linear growth. So yeah, absolutely. Just cause you've gotten okay with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We absolutely have to be okay with that. And I love that. Um, you know, you're, you're sharing so much on this podcast. And, um, if anyone wanted to coach with you, how would they go about doing that? You can go to johnnywoo.tv. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of my info is there. You can find all of my acting stuff and, and my coaching stuff and contact me that way. So I like to end the show with a quick rapid fire round of, uh, of questions. And uh, we're going to put 90 seconds on the clock. Great. And uh, all right. So uh, first question is coffee or tea? <laughs> uh, coffee. Theater or screen acting? Uh uh screen acting tv or film uh film for art tv for money (laughs) love that answer uh hero or villain uh villain all the time because you know let's 
be a bad guy in our imaginations is just more fun because we, we got to be good guys in real life, right? Right. Uh, drama or comedy? Uh, oof. Uh, honestly, I think I'm funny, but drama. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. I'm like, I think I'm funny, but uh, not a comedian. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, favorite TV show of all time? Of all time? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go with Succession. Keep it current. Good show. Um, have you ever had to cry at an audition? Yes. Um, what is the worst side job that you've had? Uh, wor- uh, Applebee's. <laughs> yep. uh, what role did you have the most fun playing? Oh, um, probably, uh, this will be good to end uh, Probably the one that was in the film that's coming out in five days um that was you know just it was nice to be a uh asian character that was not immediately asexual good we're gonna end on a big bomb we're gonna end on a big bomb (laughs) i just had like the biggest like my mind is blown because yeah that happens so much with um it's just they don't need – they'll cast me as cops and, like, you know, fucking engineers all day. Yeah. But what's inherent in those characters is, like, oh, they're just asexual beings. And that's why I can get the job. But we're changing all that up. You know, we're changing all that up. Yeah. So, like, for once, you got to play, like, the romantic lead. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. And it's like, Love hey, that. you know, they're, they're, there's, like, you know, there's, like, a 1.7 billion Chinese people on the planet. They didn't get here without having sex, yo. <laughs> Some people had some sex, you right. know? So I'm saying, like, you know, I'm in the game. I'm in the game. <laughs> uh, so last question. In 10 words or less, what advice would you give to a young actor? Do not blow past lines that you just said if you didn't feel like you were telling the truth. Don't keep pushing forward, go back, figure out what your resp- what you need to respond to, to make that line truthful. The more, the more that, we, <laughs> the more that we allow ourselves to be okay with lying, the more we're going to lie. And that is it for today's episode of Actors with Issues with special guest Johnny Wu, who you can follow on Instagram at Johnny underscore M underscore Wu and follow us at Actors with Issues. If you like today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review at ratethispodcast.com slash actors. And you can catch new episodes of the show every Friday. Thank you all so much for tuning in. This is Juan Ayala signing off. Mm-hmm.